of it. Memoirs of a strong man. Anybody want to guess who we're going to be talking about? Samson, the strongest man, arguably the strongest man to ever have lived. Most people know who he is, but most people don't know how he got into the mess that he found himself in. So we're going to spend some time looking at his life. And, 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 and let, let me go and say this. This series is aimed toward men. Thing toward men. Why? Historically, historically, if you've been a part of church very long at all, you'll know this. Women have carried the spiritual aspects of the church. And it's time for the men to stand up and take the place. And I believe God has started a move among the men in this house to get us to that place. And I, I and it's good. But I don't want us to be satisfied with good. I want us to get to a place where we know unequivocally that we are walking as the men God created us to be. Now, ladies, you are not off the hook. In fact, I had a lady this morning tell me after church, said, Pastor, I know that was acting toward men, but man, that messed with me today. Because I'm telling you, everything, if you'll, if you'll open up your ears, God will speak to you through anything. Now, ladies, especially if you're a wife, this is not going to be one of those times where you sit back there and put your elbow in your husband's rib every time something is said that you agree with. Come on. Don't act like y'all don't do that. Hear that? You hear the pastor talking to you. No, it's time for you to say, you know what? I believe in you. God, you're going to become the man God wants you to be. I believe in you. Now, now, ladies, let me answer a couple of questions before we get going. I, now, I'm not saying you, your man's not already there. But how many of you want your husband, your son, to be the man that God created him to be? You want that. Now, if you, ladies, if you don't have your hand raised, well, we've got counseling. We'll set up for you later. Uh, but that's different. Um, how many of you want your man, your husband, to be the priest of the home that God has commanded him to be. Now, let me stop here. And I didn't even say this at the 9 a.m., but I will say here. In order for him to do that, no matter how much work God does in him, ladies, you're going to have to let him be that man. I'm just going to let it sit there, and I'm not taking it back. Denise will tell you, when we first got married, uh, we had a, uh, uh, I married in and had a 14-year-old stepdaughter right off the bat who became my daughter, not my stepdaughter. And Denise has spent those years being independent. And it took her a while to allow me to be, start being the man that God called me to be as her husband because she was so used to doing things on her own. She was so, so used to other men letting her down. Let me tell you, ladies, you're going to have to support him and allow him to be the spiritual head of your home. If that's what you want. Are you with me? Uh, well, God says that anyway. So if you got a problem with it, take it up with him. Uh, how many of you want your husband or your father to, uh, uh, you, you want your husband or son to make better decisions? Man, I got my hand. I do. Uh, how many of you want your sons to fall in love with Jesus and make better decisions than you did? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, man, I believe. If you call yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus, 
There is spiritual greatness inside of you waiting to get out. Ladies, if you are a follower of Jesus, I also believe there is spiritual greatness in you waiting to get out. And I believe that if you will commit the next four weeks of this series uh, to coming to, to joining together with your community, worshiping together, hearing the word together, hearing us dig in. I believe at the end of this that God is going that what God is going to do, He's going to raise up some men to be the spiritual leaders that they need to be in the home. I believe that. Anybody else believe that? Come on, come on. So I, I want to give you one. Of, why are we doing this? Because I believe one of the saddest indictments against man ever is found in Ezekiel chapter 22. God said this about man. Look, look at this. He said, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. I came looking for a man. The message says it like this. I look for a man to stand up for me, to take a stand for me, to stand in the gap for this land. But I couldn't find anyone, not even one. Listen, men, I don't want that to be said about you or myself. I don't want God to come to Mex County, Ray County, McMinn County, Rome County, whatever, and say, I came there looking for a man, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man that was... Stand up, but I couldn't find one. I don't want that for any of you. I believe if God were speaking today, he'd say it like this. I'm looking for a man of integrity. I'm looking for a man that's courageous. I'm looking for a man that will stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. I'm looking for a man that, that will lay his life down to serve his wife like Christ laid his life down to serve uh, the church. I, I'm looking for that man. I'm looking for a man that's going to impart spiritual truth and guide us to the next generation. Is there a man that can stand in the gap? And my prayer is not that if God comes looking here at Watts Bar Church, but when he does, yeah, that he's not going to just find one, but he's going to find many that have bought into this brave heart mentality, that have, that have surrendered their hearts completely to him, that said, I am all in. Let's fight. Let's go with it. I believe it. Uh, years ago, revivalist Henry Varley said this young, to a young man, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered to him. That young man's response to Henry Varley was this, I will be that man. If God is looking for men of integrity, of honor and courage and faithfulness, I will be such a man. That man, that young man was D.L. Moody, who then went on to become the, one of the greatest evangelists this world has ever known. Now, now, now let me say this. I'll take some of the pressure off of you. God's not looking for the next D.L. Moody. God's not looking for the next... Uh, uh, Billy Graham. God's not looking for the next T.D. Jakes. God's not looking for the next Stephen Furtick. What God is looking for is for a man that will rise and be the man that God has called him to be. Him to be. Not, not a D.L., not a T.D., not any other initial, but yours. 
Who are you going to step up and be that man? Now, now, Samson, we're going to talk about him, and a lot of people know about him, but don't really know him because Samson is legendary, right? I mean, he is, man. His accomplishments, his strength, and, and, and here's the thing. Samson has so much potential, so much God-given potential to make a difference, uh, to do the right thing, yet time and time again, he made bad decisions. Come on now. Samson, Samson didn't need any enemies. Samson was his own worst enemy. Samson is the one that got him into his messes. And, and he was his own worst enemy. In fact, if you're taking notes, and I highly encourage it, because uh, I do spend a lot of time thinking of these things. And I know some of y'all try to fill them in before I give them, but that's all right. Is this, Samson had legendary strength and a legendary weak will. Legendary strength. Man, we are more like Samson than what we want to admit. Because we've got areas in our life where we're incredibly strong. We're incredibly gifted. But then we've got these areas where we have also got an incredibly weak will at certain things. And, and, but I believe that there's some things that we can learn from Samson that will help us to do things different. Amen? Amen? Let me give you a backdrop of what's going on when Samson comes on the scene and enters the picture. Israel has been, has turned its back on God. They've betrayed God. They've been unfaithful to God over and over. So God allows a group called the Philistines. Who are the Philistines? Philistines? Who are they? The enemies of God. They're the enemies of God. So God allows the enemies of God to come in and take captive Israel. They are captive, held captive by the Philistines for 40 years. And then God finally says, enough is enough. I'm going to raise up somebody. I'm going to raise up a man to start a revolution and free these people. And that's where we pick it up in Judges 13, uh, chapter 2, or chapter, Judges chapter 13, starting with verse 2. A man uh, of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, Hey, you are barren and childless. And she said, Duh, tell me. But, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or the fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. For you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. Say those underlying words with me. Dedicated to God from the womb. He will leave, take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, here's what we need to understand about Samson. From the very beginning, God's hand was on his life. It says from the womb, from the from a dedicated God from the womb. There's a call of God on his life. The, the angel appears, he tells Samson's mother, and, and if you read on, Sam, uh, Samson's mother's like, uh, my husband's never going to believe this. Do you mind sticking around telling my husband? 
And uh, she's like, or the angel's like, yeah, I'll stick around. He tells the husband, the husband's like, hey, uh, my family's never going to believe this. You want to stick around and have dinner with us? And the husband's like, uh, I'll stick around, but I'm not going to eat because I've seen your cooking. No, it doesn't say that. But, um, so, but he said, but your son is going to take a Nazarite vow. To be, he's going to be set apart by God. Anybody know those vows? We looked at a few of them. One, no more take partaking of the alcoholic beverages at all. Let me break it down to you. Some of you are having a hard time comprehending that. That means no Coronas, no Limeritas, no Margaritas, while you're, even when you're eating Mexican food. None of it. None of it. No nighttime Chardonnay uh, to help you sleep better. Uh, he says none of that. None of that. Uh, number two, don't touch anything dead. No one unclean thing. That, that's pretty much simple enough. Number three, don't get your hair cut. Now, there have been different interpretations and different thoughts about what style Samson wore his hair. Now, I don't know if you'll remember the Samson movie that came out a few years ago. They actually had Samson in dreadlocks. Anybody saw see that? Uh, I don't know what kind of hair Samson had. Uh, really don't. But I can tell you what, what style he didn't have. Samson never had a mullet. <laughs> Ever. I know some of you are, may have mullets in here today. I understand my audience. Or you know somebody at home. That's all right. Billy Ray called said, I'd like my hair back. Uh, but let's go on. <laughs> so, Kelly, what, what, why the long hair? Why, why couldn't he cut his hair? Let me, how many were here for baptism last Sunday? Yeah. See, baptism did not save those people. It was simply an outward expression of what went on inside of them already. This ring here, this is an outward sign telling people, hey, I am committed to Denise Goins. I'm committed to her. That is my wife. The same thing with the long hair. Nazarites didn't cut her hair because it was an outward sign. Hey, they're a Nazarite. They're, they're set aside for the work of God. They're dedicated. They made a vow. So, so when we meet Samson, we see God's hand, man, is greatly upon him. Uh, and we see God's strength. You want to talk about legendary strength? You read the story of Samson. There's a story there where Samson kills a thousand men by himself with a jawbone of a donkey. That's, that's pretty bad dude right there. Uh, there's another story where he, and we'll look at it here in a second. He literally, not figuratively, rips a lion in two. That's a bad dude. Uh, uh, we see one instance where uh, Samson uh, goes to Gaza and he, he takes the gates of the city, pulls them. Listen, I would be impressed if he just pulled these gates uh, along with the poles out. That, I'm impressed. No need to do anything else. Because most theologians say those gates weigh somewhere between 5 to 10 tons. So that's impressive enough. But then he carries them 36 miles. Samson's a bad dude. I, I mean, he, if you're picking somebody for a football team or a fight, you want Samson on your side. That, that, that's what I'm saying. He has legendary strength. And we see Samson, man, when he's filled with the strength of God. Yet with all this God-given strength... All this God-given potential, Samson makes 
dumb mistake after dumb mistake, and it's his weak will that gets him in trouble over and over again. I mean, when we look at Samson's life over the next few weeks, you're going to see Samson breaks his vow to God over a handful of honey. Breaks his vow to God. You're going to see Samson lose his temper and kill 30 innocent men over a bet. Men that had nothing to do with the bet. He goes and kills them because he lost the bet. Uh, you're going to see over and over again how Samson pursues the wrong woman. And over, over and over again his lust for these women cause, gets him trouble and trouble over again. Samson has legendary strength, but he also has a legendary weak will. He has so much for potential, so much God-given potential. So much potential to be the man God had called him to be. And, and I see this all the time with men who are followers of Jesus. So much potential. So much. And, and, and I, I will watch them. They'll be so committed in this area over here. But so uncommitted when it comes to things that really matter to the heart of God. Are you following me? Committed over here. But when it comes to things that matter to the heart of God, well, I'll, I'll do it when I can. For, for instance, there are those. Now, I'm about to meddle. Go, go ahead and put a meddling alert up. Um, there are those that'll, men that will spend hours researching guns. What is the best gun to hunt this? What is the best scope I can buy? What is the best? And they'll spend hours doing that. They'll spend hours researching rod and reels. What, what kind of rod and reel catches this fish? What kind of lure? And they'll spend hours, yet they spend no time at all in the Word of God. Come on. Thank you. Spend hours researching. Okay, let, let me bring it down to my crowd because I'm not a big hunter. Spend hours researching the best TV for the money. The best 70-inch 4K TV that I can get for the money, yet no time in the Word of God. Yet no time in His presence. Come on now, ladies. You'll spend time looking for that great deal on that purse, that outfit, that car. Boy, he is meddling today. I wish he'd just shut up and go on. That's my Jim Gaffigan voice in my head. Can I tell you one of the most frustrating for, things for me as a pastor? Me and Denise both as pastors. We see men and women filled with so much potential, so much ability to make, be a difference maker, make a change in their home, ha have things turn out different, yet they do nothing with it. They waste it. And that is so frustrating to me. So much potential, yet bad decisions. Uh, so, so why is it that so many men with potential for greatness, why is it we fall short? Why is it we make dumb decisions? I, I believe when we look at uh, the life of Samson, there are three attitudes that Samson carried, that we carry, that have the, have the very real poten potential to take us out. The first one is this. He had the attitude, lust. I want it. I want it. Here, here's what I've learned. When it comes to men, comes to men and women alike, if we see something we want, all logic goes out the window. Addicts will tell you this. 
All logic goes out the window when they're trying to, ju- I, I've got to have that fixed. I've got to have this. Because instead of thinking about what it's going to, co- all logic goes out the window. We're, we're the same. When we find something we want, man, there is no, I, I want, when it comes to a career, all logic goes out the window. Maybe getting that new boat, that new truck, that new iPhone X. Come on. That purse, that outfit. I'm talking to the ladies right now. Uh, Whatever it is, all logic goes out the window and you begin to pursue that thing without ever thinking of the consequences or the people that you might hurt. This happens to Samson. Look at Judges 14, 1 and 2. Samson went down to Timnah. He saw there a young, hot, Philistine woman. That's my version. Come on, she had to be good looking. But again, who are the Philistines? The enemy of God. Another one of the Nazarite vows. He could not marry a woman with a different faith than his. That, that worshipped a different God. So he sees a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. I saw her. I want her. Go get her. Uh, walk this out. Samson leaves his home there in Zora, or yeah, in Zora. Walks four miles to Timnah. Walk it out. He leaves his community of fellow believers. He leaves his community of like-minded people and goes into the enemy's camp. Not to take back what the devil stole from him but to take something he should never have had in the first place. And he leaves them. And in that moment, Samson looks at this woman. All logic leaves him. I don't care what mom and dad says. I don't care what my pastor says. I don't care what my friends are saying. I don't even care if if, if God doesn't want me to do this. I see her. I want her. Get her for me. All logic goes out the window. Lust, I want it. The second attitude we'll see with Samson, and it has an effect on us, is this. Entitlement. I deserve it. I work hard. I deserve it. I deserve a little time away. I deserve this. I I put up with her. I slave away at my job. And this happens to Samson. Samson's out one day on his uh, way to, to see his woman. And a lion jumps out and attacks him. Uh, uh, of course, this is where uh, Samson just splits the lion right open. I mean, demolishes him, open him, no problem. In fact, that's pretty awesome. But here's the problem. We find it in Judges 14, 8 and 9. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he did what? Is it that where we get in trouble? We're going. We're going. Something catches their eye. And we turn aside. So Samson turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. He turned and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. And he scooped out the honey out of the dead carcass. Remember his vow? 
And he ate it as he went along. But get this, when he joined his parents, he gave them some, they too ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of a dead lion's carcass. What's he supposed to do? Never touch anything dead, right? Those of us that think my sin is my sin, it doesn't affect anybody else, is wrong. Wrong. Samson gave. He didn't even tell them where it came from. And now they're affected by something they don't even know about. Come on now. He touched the dead lion that he ripped for. This, uh, this is crazy to me. Samson betrays the God that gave him this strength to do it all over a hand full of honey. Betrays the God. I mean, who would be dumb enough to, be, to, to break their vow to God over something so small as a handful of honey? We do it every day. The God who loved us when we were unlovable. The God who showed us mercy and grace when we didn't deserve it. The God who forgives and forgives, and yet we will break our vows to him over something small, stupid, and sinful. Because I deserve it. I deserve it. Third attitude we see. Pride. I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm strong enough. It got me last time. They won't give you this time. I'm a stronger man now. I, I, I can handle this. Re remember the three vows. Uh, don't touch dead things. Don't cut your hair. And what was the third? Y'all remember. You just don't want to say it. Don't drink. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. I, well, I'm strong. I can handle it. Look, 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 at the, look at this. Pride, Judges 14, 10. Now his father went down to see the woman. And there Samson held a what? Feast, as was customary for young men. That word feast, see, when we think of feast, we're thinking of spread of food. But when you look at the original word that, that is there for feast, it's a word, the Hebrew word is mista. And it literally means an occasion for drinking. Samson's not supposed to drink. But did you read the end of that? As was customary for young men. But God, they're doing it. I don't care if I've set you apart. But, but God, they can do that. And I, well, well, you're set apart. We're not talking about them. We're talking about you. Are you with me? And Samson... He, he, he breaks his vow. And we, we see it happen. Basically, what Samson did here, he threw a keg party. Invited all his buddies over. Tapped a keg. Hey, let's party. Let's have I can handle it. And we see it happen over and over again to men. God gives us this great potential, this great strength to be the husband we should, the dad we should, the men we should be. I'm strong. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. And before long, it handles us. Because we thought, I can handle it. I can handle it. Now, I, I don't know what that might look like for you, but those is different. Come on, we all know somebody. In fact, we can think of them right now. 
that, that'll say, hey, hey, come on. Just one drink, it won't hurt me. And you know where it's going to lead them. Just one pill. I, I'm stronger now. I can handle this. I just, just one look. I, 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 want, I want the boat. I need a boat. We live in a lake community. I want the new toy. I deserve it. I can handle the payments. Six months a year now, we're drowning in debt. Come on. I want to look. I want to have them come over. Hey, baby, you want to Netflix and chill? I deserve a little attention. No, we can't handle it. Come on now. Three things. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. I don't want to just leave you with that because I believe what God specializes is making weak men strong. So I want to show you three attitudes that if we adapt them, we can learn from Samson's mistakes and we won't fall in them so much. Instead of saying, I want it, men and women, here's what we need to start saying, I want God. I want God. Men, men, just say that out loud. I want God. I want God. Come on. I Now, ladies, join them. I want God. Here's the truth when it comes to me. I don't just want God. I need him. I, I, I won't need God's power. I won't need God's direction for my life. I won't and I need the Holy Spirit to guide my steps and tell me where to go and when not to go there. I need Holy Spirit to convict me when I've done something wrong and bring me back in line. I need that. I, I, I want God. The second attitude. Instead of I deserve it, we need to realize this. I deserve death. That's all I deserve. The Bible says this, the wages of sin. We got anybody that's never sinned? Yeah, that's what I thought. If you raise your hand, you'd be lying. And there's your first one. The wages of sin is death. I deserve death. I've sinned. I've sinned, guys. I, I deserve, when, when it comes to me, I, I, I tell you, I, we don't deserve anything. We're not entitled to anything. One of my favorite worship songs right now is this song, Nothing Else. And, and in that chorus, it, it, it says, uh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, I don't owe you, or Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I, if I, I don't want what I deserve. Come on. I don't want what I deserve. I deserve death. And when we realize, hey, we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sin. But God in his goodness, God in his mercy, sent his son to die to death and say, and in our place. Come on. That's when I cry out to God. It's not, hey, I, I don't have to serve. I get to serve. I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. Come on now. I, I, I want God. I deserve death. Here's the thing. And when it says saying I can, I can handle it, here's what we need to realize and get this attitude. I can't handle anything without God. Nothing. No thing. 
I can't handle anything without, let me tell you, I know me. And without God's guidance in my life, I am capable of any sin. Don't get on your high horse. I've seen many people get on that high horse and point their fingers and then them fall. I'm telling you, without God's guidance, I am capable of anything. I am capable. Listen, men, the men that change this world, the men that change their world, are the men that make, that are, are the ones that admit their need for God and say, God, I am weak. I need you. tell you this, there's some men and women here like you need to be weak enough to ask for help. You need to be weak enough to confess your sins. You need to be weak enough to call a friend and say, I need help. It turns out that's not a weakness, that's actually a strength. To be strong enough to confess your sins. To be strong enough to admit your need. Tell you the enemy loves to bring down strong men. The enemy loves to bring down men that have so much potential. But I'm telling you, my God loves taking weak men and making them strong. He loves it. We look at the life of Samson. What we're going to see over the next few weeks is a man that from birth God's hand was upon him. Yet the final stages of his life, we find him with his eyes gouged out and standing before an arena full of his enemies as they make fun of him. Now, listen, I'm not saying that your, your eyes are going to be gouged out or anything like that, but I am saying maybe it could be even worse. Man, it could be that at age 40, 50, 60, you're looking back on a failed marriage and you have to come with the grips that it was mostly my fault. I made some terrible decisions. It may be as you get older in life and because of some decisions and choices you made, your kids don't respect you and don't want to have anything to do with you. That's worse than having your eyes gouged out. Man, it doesn't have to go down like that. It, it, it doesn't have to, to be like that. But that's what lust, entitlement, and pride, that's where it'll get you every time. Every time. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm here to tell you, there is spiritual greatness in you. There is. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm here to tell you that it just takes one conversation with God to change all that. And it doesn't even have to be a long one. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm here to tell you that with God's power, no matter what you've done, no matter what you found yourself into or where you found yourself, maybe doing things you swore you'd never do, you can be transformed. You can be new. You can be different. You can make a difference in your world. 
You can be a man of integrity. It's not too late. You can be a man of character. You can be a man of courage. You can be a godly husband. You can be a godly son. You can be a godly father. You can be a godly co-worker. You can be those things, but only if you stop trying to do them in your own strength. Stay with me, Telling you, man, there's nothing our Abba Father loves more than hearing you come to him and say, Daddy, I'm weak. I can't do this without you. I'm not strong enough. I'm gonna rely, I've got to rely on your strength. I've got to rely on you. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to shame you. The enemy wants to convince you into wasting that God-given potential on stupid things. He wants to shame you and, and, and tell you you did this and bring up everything you in your past. This was even part of my notes in, in my devotion this morning. Uh, Tony Evans is talking about when Jesus was on the cross and says he despised the shame. Despised the shame. And he dissected that word despised. And he said the original Hebrew word, when you dissect it, means this, out of mind. To not think about. In other words, when he was on the cross and the enemy, you ought to be ashamed, Jesus. Your mother's looking up here at you. You're on the cross. What does your family think about you? Look at you. You proclaim to be the Messiah. Look at you. And all those. Things. He said what was literally being said is that when it says he Jesus was not allowing one thought to enter his mind. One thought. He was focused on who God called him to be. That's what we've got to get. The enemy's going to try to bring shame. But you, no, no, no. That's forgiven. Forgiven. You did that last It's Forgiven. I'm not going to allow you to bring me down. Forgiven. I'm telling you, there is spiritual greatness in every man and woman in this room. Men, I want you to stand up. And I want when this question is asked, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered into him. I want that to be you. Your world. I tell you something as a dad, you are not my priority when it comes to ministry. If I save a ton of people in this room, but I lose my kids and my family, I have failed. I have failed. And I'll tell you, I heard somebody make a statement the other day and and I had to put my face down because I did not want to respond wrongly. Because I knew it was an excuse. But they were talking about not being somewhere for their kids' graduation. And they, and they were like, oh, you know what? The Lord's work is more important than those small things. I want to say, that's small to you. They're going to remember you weren't at their graduation. 
And you cannot tell me God wanted you here when your kid that he gave, entrusted to you is over here. That's what I wanted to say, but your pastor was nice. Men, I want you to walk in integrity. I look around this room. I see the changes that God has made in, in different men. Brian Hamby, you are not the same man you were two or three years ago. At all. At all. Paul Wallace is not the same man. When he first came, he wouldn't put his hand up. This is Paul. Now, in any given service, worshiping, worshiping, loving on Jesus. I'm telling you, I look. I, I, you're, God is doing some things in our men here. And the ones that will fully surrender their heart to God, a year from now, your wife, your kids are going to say, what happened to you? But those that don't, nothing will change. It will change. That's not what I want for you. Heads bowed.